Welcome back, fellow music lovers. You are now tuning in to yet another exciting adventure with us here on Discologist. I'm your host, Kevin, as usual. So happy to have you hanging out with us here again. Hope you're doing okay out there. Got a great little show for you this week. We're going to be talking about uh, Bruce Hornsby's new album, Non-Secure Connection. It is the follow-up to last year's uh, Absolute Zero, which was one of my favorite albums of that year. And uh, he's, he's sort of pushing the limits now. So we're going we're gonna to really dig into that and find out just how weird... Uh, Bruce can get. After that, we're going to be talking uh, about some feels. Madeline Kenny, she's an artist based out of Oakland, California. And her new album, Sucker's Lunch, was produced by Wyatt Oak and is uh, sort of a fabulous record of the awkwardness of falling in love and having actual feelings. So we're going to be talking about that, and if you stick around to the end, we're going to be spinning a track from Ellie Witch's upcoming album, Play With Fire, to get you excited for that. They are they're a sort of a psychedelic garage rock band uh, from out in California, and uh, they rock, and the album is great, so we want to get you hyped. So if that's the type of show you think uh, that you're ready for, if you're excited for what we're going to talk about, let's Strap on your headphones, get your beverage, do whatever you need to do, and let's uh, head on off to the uh, the virtual basement in the sky. Here comes your brand new episode of Discologist. See you on the other side. Okay. It comes here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leaves. Nearly a two-word review it just a shit sandwich. I mean, and, and, and the, the one show of theirs that I saw would have been about 94, actually, and I have oh. fucking hated them since. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a whole thing. But enough about that. Um, here to talk about some Hornsby. Uh, and Wes, I have a question for you. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, when somebody says, hey, dude, what do you think about Bruce Hornsby? What do you say? I say I simply don't, my friend. Oh, really? I, I, oh, previous, really? Previous to the last few oh. weeks, my response is a very simple. <laughs> the amount of time that I spend thinking about Bruce Hornsby will just say is very limited. Well, I guess I guess I, I phrased that wrong. I guess what I mean is like not, not how often do you think about it. I mean, do you think about it like when you and your wife are taking a leisurely walk through the woods? Let's and you're not like, talk about when, I, when I, my I wife and I talk, wish, think about Bruce Hornsby. I, I just wish Bruce was here. But uh, you know, but but like you're. I like somebody... I like this friend. When when confronted with Bruce Hornsby's existence, how do you how do you respond? When forced to think about him, <laughs> what comes to mind? Uh, no, so so but but uh, when when somebody says, uh, "Could you describe Bruce Hornsby's music to me?" What's the first thing that comes to mind? How about that? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. If you had a gun to my head when you're saying that, I could not describe Bruce Hornsby's music to you. You could just like, draw a blank. I got nothing. I'd be like, Damn. no, the only thing that I've ever been able to say about Bruce Hornsby is he will probably lead to my death one way or the other, and that would be I was going to say, happening. you're not going to fare well in the uh, Bruce-pocalypse. 
<laughs> I mean, because that's a question you're going to be asked when you're up against the wall. Like, well, what does Bruce's mean, music mean to you? But but the, the the twisted life that we're now living in, I suddenly have thoughts and feelings and opinions about Bruce Hornsby. I did not see that coming. <laughs> well, okay. That's a, that's a failure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's try you, Eduardo. What what comes to your mind when you think about Bruce Hornsby? Um, I leave out the Grateful Dead. You can't say the Grateful Dead. Okay, so I think I think two things. Um, okay, uh, it was going to be three, but um, pay attention, Wes. Okay, so so one is obviously uh, the the single from the eighties, um, which gave us uh, changes by Tupac, among other things. Uh, number two was going to be the dead. Um, and he's been, a, he's been on TV a lot on these Friday night streams. Cause a lot of them are from, you know, 90, 91 when he was in the band. Um, and the third thing I think is that, um, back when, um, I used to care enough about sports to like watch ESPN, they loved cutting to him at, cause his kid played basketball somewhere at like Winthrop or something like that. And they loved showing Bruce Hornsby in the stands. Um, I guess because ESPN's viewers are sort of boomerish enough to be excited by the thought of Bruce Hornsby being in the stands. I, th- I think Hornsby is the number one fan of college basketball. Like, and I think that in like a misery kind of way. Like he is basketball's <laughs> number one fan. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, all, all that is true. What you wouldn't expect from him uh, is this song with Jamila Woods and Vernon Reed called Bright Star Cast. So that's a little jazzy, a little funky. It is not the way it is. It's not even scenes from the South Side. Uh, that is, uh, I think, more exemplary of what Bruce Hornsby has been up to since the mid '80s uh, than anything else. This album and last year's album, Absolute Zero, uh, are both sort of pictures of this. But this one is a little, little further out there. Non secure connection. Uh, it's a little bit of a concept album. It is uh, talking about the internet, our our internet age. Uh, and uh, it's a bit cobbled together. You know, he's worked with Spike Lee. He's worked. He's worked with everybody, man. He's worked with jazz, bluegrass. He was in the Dead for a while, uh, and um, and then uh, it's just a little weirder than even I would have ever expected from this man. Uh, there's maybe one or two songs on here that that you can sit back and be like, oh yeah, 
that's that Hornsby sound. But beyond that, like this is really a, a, a guy who is, I don't even want to say late stage of his career, who seems to be like content to just go ahead and keep pushing boundaries as far as he can. Wes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wonder to an, I mean, I, I have a very interesting reaction, you know, like the first time putting on it is very much not what I was expecting. Um, you know, I can say that in a lot of ways. Um, most notably in that I liked it, um, which was very much not what I was expecting going into this. Um, You're like, oh, this is coming from Kevin? Like, exactly. What is, Generally what is when happen? Kevin sends me something, I'm just like, <laughs> okay, be prepared to not like this, and there we go, you know. But um, but this time I, I did, which was weird. And I feel like, I mean, this definitely in a lot of ways with the experimental production in particular feels like an album made by somebody who is younger who's like playing around with all these studio tools. Um, and... But I wonder if, if to an extent, he's at a place where like he's Bruce Hornsby, even for somebody like me who has true you know, doesn't give him much thought. Like I can't remember a time where I didn't know who he was. You know, I, I've known the name for as long as I can remember. Um, and obviously, yeah, like I've heard some of those old singles, stuff like that. You know, but um, is this somebody who is kind of he has realized that he has, you know, cemented a legacy of some form and kind of just like, hey, why not take some chances now? Yeah, I mean, I think he's he's had a pretty um, a pretty interesting career and in sort of like a uh, he's almost like he's almost like a poppier version of Chick Corea or something like that. Interesting. You know, it's like like yeah. Chick Corea like does the thing with Bela Fleck and he records mm-hmm. with Ricky Skaggs, I think. Right. Um, but he's clearly got some interesting like compositional uh chops that he kind of wants to show off a little bit and i and i heard that um i definitely heard that on absolute zero last year um which i think has a lot of sort of abstract and sort of challenging moments it kind of veers a little bit on a sort of you know there's like a donald faganish quality to some of the melodies at times um there's a little there's on this album in particular i think because of the production Kevin's going to hate this analogy, but there's a little bit of like Andy Partridge and XTC in there. There's like a, there's like a little skylarking, uh, uh, happening in there. Um, and that, that, that chunky middle stretch from, I think it's from like Rat King to, uh, it's Rat King, My Resolve. I can't read my handwriting here. Uh, oh, Bright Starcast, which we just heard. I think, I think that stretch is really special and really like anchors the album. Um, yeah, because it, it covers like uh, it, that's sort of his middle zone that he hit on Absolute Zero, I think. And you got to remember, like, so he produced this. Absolute Zero was produced by Brad Cook. Uh, so with this one, he's still working with those guys. He's working with Brad Cook, Justin Vernon, um, Mercer from The Shins, uh, who's on that song, My um, Resolve. And that represents the middle ground. Rat King, I think, is a beautiful song. Yeah. Um, and like very coyly like references Trump, but it's not about Trump, but it is, it's, well, it is and it isn't, but, uh, same thing. My resolve is like almost like a pop song and then you get to bright star cast, but like the sandwich around that, the actual song non-secure connection is so out there. Like it, if you go to a theater to see this like avant-garde performance, of just weird shit, and you don't know if it's working or not. And the same thing with shit's crazy out here. Which yeah. hilariously, he just did a he just did a interview with Rolling Stone, and said that's about like uh, like ACC basketball recruiting or something. <laughs> not what yeah. I was expecting. 
<laughs> this, there, there's so much that is opening up about this Hornsby world. I've got right. so many questions right now. Well, I don't know if any of you guys have seen him live. Uh, I, I did, uh, for the first time in years, see him on, on the Absolute Zero tour. This album to me is is despite the production and everything, is seems more a take on his live show. He infuses all of this with this this sort of lived-in humor and this ad- admission that he's just a fucking weirdo, dude. He's he's a fucking weirdo. And he but he's a super talented weirdo. If you tell him, you know, I want it to sound like Monk McCoy Tyner and like and then Bale Fleck on the piano at the same time, he will do that and he's just like, what? Is this he- is what people do. Is he playing all of the piano on this album? Yes. He's, yeah. He's okay. Because yeah. I, I was wondering about that because I was listening to – I'm blanking right now on what track it was. But there was there was some very McCourtiner-ish um, um, kind of sections on, on this one part of the song. Um, and I had exactly that thought. I was like, whoa, you know, th- that's fascinating who's playing that. And then kind of as I was thinking that, I'm like, I'm guessing that that's him because that's – yeah, that's really impressive. Um, yeah, and you can go out there and find uh, he has some CDs over the years that were like just him playing solo pieces, and he mixes in like reworkings of his older stuff with classical pieces, with jazz pieces, and everything. And it's it's really fascinating to watch. And I remember taking a friend of mine here in Milwaukee to see him, and what he expected was uh, the way it is, you know, or expected like the end of innocence, which honestly he played both. Because uh, he wrote those Henley songs, um, and uh, it, but what he didn't expect was how uh, infused with real like crackling, uh, forward-thinking energy that that him and all his players uh, were full of, and I think that's what people don't get. So I'm really interested in how people are going to respond to this one. I, I enjoyed um, I enjoyed this record quite a bit. Um, I ha- I have a couple of like I have a couple of issues with it. Um, the first is that I think, I think conceptually, this is sort of, um, this isn't really fresh ground. Um, you know, the idea of the sort of like the, the impact of technology on our collective humanity on, on us as individuals is sort of a pretty well-worn path and, um, and I think there there are a couple of moments where it feels a little bit like didactical. They're a little bit like it's just sort of like there's only so much you can really get out of that. Um, uh, the flip side to that is a song like um, "Time the Thief" is like such a great, profound Time thing. Slows down for for me, bending, curving beam. Serenity and clarity Lose ourselves in the reverie Passing wilds Passing little wilds Time's elastic change Elastic change It's clearly a song for olds because kids don't kids don't understand it. They don't understand that, like Rocky said, time is time is undefeated. Uh, it's the all-time greatest. Um, the other, the other kind of minor issue I have with this is the song "Porn Hour." I'm glad you talked, Kevin, about how 
he can be this sort of like crackling wit and 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 wry and sardonic and i could see the song playing that way in a live setting with a sort of kind of a, a lechy randy newman vibe uh going on um and i think that's defensible i don't know how important it i don't know how much it adds to the record i'll say and i think it's it's a little distracting it's sort of I see the argument of if you're going to talk about the internet, you should probably acknowledge that the internet is for porn and cats. Um, but it doesn't. It's like an. It's it. It's a little bit of an off note on the record, I think, because everything else feels like it's trying to be so weighty, and this just feels a little, you know, casual or something. It, it's funny because usually uh, I would 100% agree with you. I think I think it's sort of what these. Uh, not even older songwriters, but people like when people say somebody's like a songwriter, and it gives them like oh, this this just free reign to do whatever they want, and then they do shit like this. And normally I'm like, no, that, that's it's okay, it's clever, but it's not entertaining. But here, because I'm so like attuned to and used to and look forward to like his humor, like it really <laughs> song actually really worked for me. And and I think uh, uh, also weirdly as someone who who's more or less like just like quit Facebook. I I think uh, it it can serve as a reminder of what the internet actually is. It it really is built on porn, just like DVDs, just like like yeah, everything is VHS built on fucking porn. So, you know, to include in that, yes, uh, it, this was one of the ones was, that was part of another thing. It was like an art installation that he was working on um, about the Internet, obviously, but uh, that made its way into it. So it was cobbled together, but I think in, in, in a way it actually works. And if another artist was doing this, I would definitely be on your side. I'd be like, eh, nope. Not, not, I'm a not little more with Ed on this one, I got to say. I, I, I mean, it, it, it's a – it's a funny thing because though coming into this with very little expectation, very little, you know, no idea of what I was going to be getting myself into. Um, and as I said, enjoying it a lot more than I expected I was going to. But when you're opening up the, um, you know, the files and you're kind of like looking at the song names, like Porn Hour catches your eye and you're just like, okay, <laughs> I'm now curious to see what's going to happen when we come to Porn Hour, you know. Um, and I think maybe I wanted it to be funnier. Because there's definitely, you know, some of that wit, some of that, um, you know, clever lyricism does come through at some places. Um, maybe I just need to, like, really sit down and focus on the lyrics. But I feel like 
Yeah, it is making that that absolutely valid point of you know the effect that pornography has had on technological culture in general, um, and obviously on the internet. And um, you know, as somebody who spent last year working in, the, you know, working with an organization trying to help young male-identified people to be you know reducing gender-based violence and sexism and all this stuff, like needless to say, like there's been a lot of reflection on what porn does and doesn't do in our society, you know? And so I'm kind of curious, like, okay, what is he going to have? Like, cause that could be something where it could have some real deep commentary on that, or it could be something that was really funny. And I feel like it was, it didn't really succeed in either of those things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, th there's the shock value of him just saying porn. Right. Again. And then you see it in, in the track list. There it is. Yeah. And, and you're right. It, do, it doesn't definitely doesn't go beyond the shock value. Like it, it, it is a surface level examination of the issue before us. It plays, it plays a little bit like I kept thinking about uh, that great uh, moment when um, Frank Costanza is selling computers out of his garage on Seinfeld, and it's because, in his words, I saw this movie called The Net with that girl from the bus, <laughs> and uh, which is one of the all time greatest lines. Um, it. it you know, when 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 this concept wears thin for me, it plays a little bit like that of like, uh, you know, these are not new insights about the Internet. Um, the 1975 just did a whole album exploring, you know, online, uh, the online self and online relationships. And so when you get to Porn Hour, it almost plays as a like, and did you know there's naked girls on this thing? Like, <laughs> it, 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 it's and a little, cats. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can see that. You know, and for that, it actually works for me in the way uh, – well, it fits in the same sort of bucket on this album as a song like Cleopatra Drones does. Mm -hmm. And um, and I and I really hate to say this because I do think this is a great song, but it doesn't make sense in the rest of the album, the Anything Can Happen, a duet with the late Leon Russell. Um, yeah. You know – if you well, I'll put his discography in the show notes. Like to say that Hornsby can do anything is is understating it. Like he can, he is a master musician. And uh, and on this, when this doesn't get as good, like I felt Absolute Zero was a lot more focused, even though I enjoy this one more. I think it has a little more energy. But is when he tries to take it out of these weird sound experiments that he's doing and just play it straight. And uh, I'll play a little bit of this. Anything can happen. And uh, he's just playing it straight, and it's great, but the question is, does it fit? Oh, little darling, I know you've been downhearted inside a bad dream. Say you just can't seem to get started, can't be as bad as it seems. Hey, listen, girl, I'm watching you. Everybody. 
So sounding a little bit like an outtake from Sting's uh, the Soul Cages sessions there. Um, and I think you don't have to call it Vaporwave if you were actually there for the first wave of it. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but, it, uh, for the record, I love the Soul Cages. Uh, we're probably going to talk about it before episode 500. Um, and I don't care who's with me or not. I might be talking about it by myself, <laughs> but uh, I, I do very much love that record. But uh, yeah, it, it's um, it's not adult uh, contemporary, but it is. <laughs> Like I don't first, even... first of all, there's nothing wrong with adult contemporary. Let's just let's just <laughs> get back to the no guilty pleasures conversation. Oh, has, yep. has 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 Miss Swift made an adult contemporary album now, Eduardo? We're gonna we're gonna talk about her on the next record. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it, you know, it, it plays to that, and that's not what this album is doing as a whole. It's not the the album. You know, this one and the last tune I think is called No Limits. Um, which is also like a straight up like pop banger kind of um, are a little um, sort of they feel a little musically disconnected from the rest of the record. Um, they're gonna be they're gonna be great on playlists. Like they should you know to the extent that playlists are how you get new fans these days. Hopefully it'll get them on some uh, you know ironic hipster playlist that'll uh, put them in front of a new audience. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Or or go back and listen to the old stuff man well and I, i'd say as a new audience for this like he's he's won me over with this album like i i am wow. convinced now to go back and i don't i don't know how much time i'm gonna end up actually wanting to spend with previous stuff but i am curious at this point about somebody who is clearly more talented than i had given him credit for um clearly you know as a player as a producer as a songwriter like he has got chops and and so now i'm curious to go back and hear some of the other stuff it's you know i couldn't help but thinking um and, and i felt like this was too obvious to bring up in a way but since neither of you did i guess i will um that it that there's a fair amount of brian wilson in this um oh yeah and so it's really interesting as i said like that that was kind of the obvious standout from the start um but one of the things i think about that with a little bit is i do think sometimes what would brian wilson be doing now like with today's technology, stuff like that, if he was firing on more cylinders. Um, I was going to say, he's still making albums. Because <laughs> he's still making albums. <laughs> he is. And, and you know, there you, you can listen to them. Um, but <laughs> what would somebody like him, um, who is, you know, a little more together at this point, um, and, and I'm I mean, a huge, huge Brian Wilson fan. Um, you know, so that was one of the things that first attracted me to this, um, album was that it was, it kind of felt to an extent like somebody who had a weird sense of humor like Brian does, um, and has compositional technique, um, you know, and, and skills like Brian does. Um, but what would that then, you know, what would somebody like that do with some of these production techniques and stuff like that? And, you know, that's, it's, it's well, an interesting it gets, experience. It gets into like where, where the industry is now, um, also, that Hornsby is – I mean, well, A, he's he's made it. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure that whether the album's a hit or not is first and foremost in his mind. And, and that, that can be a gateway to releasing something like wildly experimental and great or releasing crap. And, and I think he did sort of the, uh, the former. But uh, he, he just <clears> – you know, when he talks about – his playing and stuff. What he wanted to do in the eighties, this is in the Rolling Stone interview as well, is he wanted that Bruce Hornsby sound and he wanted a, a Lynn drum machine 
and a uh, grand piano. And if you go back and listen to those, it is the Bruce Hornsby sound. And you get it on Don Henley. You get it on all his stuff. You get it on uh, on the uh, Bonnie Raitt song. You get it on all that stuff. And and he broke out of that. And now it seems like he might be like trying to like force another sound. I don't know if that's going to work because because and Wes, you will find this out because I have an extra copy of the way it is ready to ship out to you. <laughs> Lionel. Oh, oh, good. But but uh, <laughs> along with Lionel Richie's hello, but um, or what is it? Cancel it. Let's down. just go ahead. Uh, I already said earlier that I'm not necessarily thrilled when Kevin sends me new music like digitally. <laughs> when I get something in the mail from him, it's just kind of like, oh, 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 this is not going to be good. You know. <laughs> but but he is he, you know, th- this is you know, maybe he is trying to get a new sound. Or maybe he just doesn't give a fuck. Well, he's 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 certainly bought himself. You know, he's he's like a genuine, I think, weirdo, who who is doing okay for himself. Like he doesn't really need to write. Like his his measure of success is whether he feels like he's delivering artistically or not. And then that's a great great position to be making music from. I, I think so. So everybody listening really should. Check out Bruce Hornsby West. You should dive deep into the catalog. Uh, <laughs> I'll at least I, I, check out the one before this. We'll see. I will assist you in your journey. I have, right. I have lots we of recommendations. For anybody who's listening, I have lots of recommendations. But uh, but yeah, I think the fact that it won you over, West, that you want to like look deep, more deeply into this is kind of the biggest endorsement you can get from it. there was the song Sugar Sweat from Madeline Penny. Her third album is Sucker's Lunch. Uh, she is a 
I think a multi-instrumentalist. Uh, she started playing piano when she was five from Seattle. Uh, she's known for guitar work. Uh, on her first album, Night Night at the First Landing, uh, Chaz Budnick? Yeah, Chaz Bundick, uh, Toro y Moi, uh, produced that. Uh, Jen Wasner produced her Perfect Shapes album in 2018. And now on Sucker's Lunch, uh, the whole of Y Oak is, is producing uh, them, which I think you could just hear on that track. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I remember seeing Y Oak uh, back in the day. They had Future Islands open for them. Uh, Ed, you've seen them. Like, you know, they're Baltimore band. Mm-hmm. And so you'd see them at Auto Bar and small clubs and whatever. And they definitely had a sound. And, and they have worked their ass off and turned into these, especially Wassner, these purveyors of almost perfect pop. And they have a signature. And... The wildest thing is is how Kenny on this album really picks up on that signature, but ultimately makes it her own, uh, which I think is why this album works. I went back and listened to the other two today, and I, and they were good, but they're also the type of indie stuff that I tend to like not really fall in love with. But this, I can't stop listening to it. First of all, it's objectively true that this is not the kind of music that you would normally fall in love with. Um, I felt like there was... This was like a heavily disclaimed share from Kevin of a like, look, I know, yes. Um, and uh, because normally I would be the one kind of pushing for something like this um, among the two of us. Um, Wes, I don't know if you're neutral or if, if you fall more in one camp than, than, than another. But, um, but this, this feels a little out of character for Kevin, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, hmm. it, it definitely does. And, and, yeah, I mean, I guess to, to run with that for a bit, um, it's a little out of character for me too. Um, but my first couple listens, I didn't really connect with it. Um, and it honestly wasn't until this afternoon with headphones. Um, and it's funny because I, I feel like I've said that about a couple albums recently in some of these conversations where like suddenly I put on headphones and it clicks. Um, it's, yeah, it's a little outside of my, you know, the current listening um, as well. But um, But it's impressive. Yeah, I, you know you know what I think it is. Um, I think it is that this is an album about falling in love, but not falling in love. It's about an album about how falling in love is awkward and fucking sucks. And I think the three of us talking here can really <laughs> to that. Speaking as a person who still watches rom coms, like, <laughs> like hoping for a perfect world, and and there are just moments on this. There's there's lines on this. You know. Uh, On the final track, Sweet Coffee, how awfully scary to be circling around, maybe. To be drowning in the like if it starts winning i'll stop my breathing that's a really eloquent way of saying uh somebody takes your breath away mm-hmm. it's a candid it's a candid and vulnerable record in a way that doesn't feel like it's obviously like it's not accidental right it's not like she was recording the, she was playing these songs and didn't realize they were being recorded it's obviously a planned event but it doesn't feel calculated 
Um, and I like that, you know, kind of musically and sonically, there's, there's sort of a, there's like just enough of like stray DNA from other, like, there's like a, like for a moment you might think like, oh, there's sort of a Carpenters-ish vibe here, or you'll sort of get enough other things that it's almost like a really good sauce where you keep tasting it and you're like, what else is in here? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's actually interesting because when I you know when I said earlier when I had it just on my stereo and I didn't really connect you know you're like sometimes you eat that sauce and you're just not paying attention to what you're eating and it's like you just got to eat lunch you know um, but then yeah it was it was when I started listening more carefully I mean some of the things um, there's a lot of sustain on this album um, you get a lot of um, notes that are just kind of continuous it gives this kind of like dreamy atmosphere um, you know. Reminded me a little bit even of Marissa Nadler, who's one of my very favorites. Um, you know, definitely a very different overall atmosphere um, from Nadler, but there were moments where it kind of creates that sort of dreamy atmosphere that I do really like. Yeah, and, and that's a lot of the production of of Jim Monster and Andy Stack, and I, and I don't want to like overemphasize them on this album uh, because this is Madeline's work, uh, and and this doesn't sound wildly different from her other work, but it you know. Th- Wasser and Stack just have this vibe that they've perfected that it, they can exist in pretty well. It's fascinating now to see them sort of push it out to other artists and see how they they react to it. But that said, uh, there's you know to the sauce thing, there are a lot of things in here, and the biggest thing for me is uh, is um, Jenny Lewis. And Rilo Kylie era, which I, I I would bet you didn't know that I love Rilo Kylie. I I did know that actually. Okay, because uh, you've told me a long story involving Rilo Kylie. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so, uh, but but also I I think Rabbit for Coat, uh, which was Jenny Lewis's first album after Rilo, well when they broke up and then got back together with the Watson twins, is one of the best albums of the aughts. Like full stop. It's it's just a fantastic piece of work. It is uh, Jenny Lewis writing her best on this um, song "Sucker." Like she absolutely nails it. So, so Rilo Kylie was really 
Uh, Elvis Costello was out there, like, basically begging Jenny Lewis to work with him. Um, because she really was this, and still is to some extent, but uh, the bulk of her best work was back then. And just, like, this remarkable songwriter. And not just in what she was writing, but the way she delivered it. And I think Kenny growing up on the East Co- on the West Coast had to had to absorb that because that moment in there where she just turns into this thing that I haven't heard since the nineties from anybody. And and it and it guts you. It like sta- I mean, you know, that that song's about I think it's about uh just giving up and being like, okay, you love who you love and this is not maybe it's not working too well, but whatever. you you want your sucker. Uh and uh and when that cracks, that's like such like a, a beautiful, like relatable feeling. I, I had, I was listening to this um, this morning while I was out for uh, for a stroll, and um, and on that line, I had this moment of like, oh god damn it, why don't I talk to my brother more? And then I realized I do. It's just the song. The song had me convinced for a second because the emotion was so real. And I was like, oh man, it's such a such a shame that our oh, wait wait we have a good relationship. Never mind. Uh, but. Um, the I think I think that song showcases a lot of what um, what makes this album work and a lot of what you get on it, which is um, a a very um, just well um, well crafted uh, you know non fussy arrangements. You know these the songs feel like they have some heft. They feel they feel chunky. They feel like they move well. Um, and and there's enough happening for you to be able to get that great headphone experience. Um, but not so much that it gets in the way of the songs. No, the arrangements in the production are really subtle. Um, and that's, you know, going back to your comment about the sauce, I feel like that's one of the reasons that it'll reward a lot of listens. You know, you get those subtle flavors kind of each time noticing something a little different. Yeah. And, and the the pairing of those two, I don't, um, you know, back to why, okay, if you had told me like Jen Monster made this album, like this is a lot of, I mean, it just seems like these people met up for a reason. To make mm-hmm. this like on, on the next song, Double Hearted, there's a line in there like, "Who knew that I'm a sucker for nothing?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like this thing that these lines in this album just come out and they're hilarious because it's so like, oh god, we're all pathetic. <laughs> I think that actually might be the one kind of remaining step for me. Because um, as I said, I mean, this this album only clicked for me this afternoon, you know. So so it's a new thing and I, and I want to give it a little more listening i i have yet to be hit by any of the lines um either on an emotional level or on a you know humorous level or intellectual or anything and and part of that you know as i've said many times i don't listen to the lyrics um as you know as frequently as a lot of other things but um but i there were a couple moments with the lyrics um knowing even that i you know that this is this album about falling in love and and the you know fear and mystery and back and forth and the goods and bads of that process and experience um that automatically means ambivalence you know um <clears throat> getting into any sort of a new relationship is an ambivalent experience um and so i think that there is some of that coming through but I will say that there were a couple times, and maybe this will completely change as I get to know the lyrics better, but there were a couple times where I kind of felt like the ambivalence wasn't working for me. Um, like there's a line uh, fairly early on in the album, I forget which track, where she says something about um, like, why is it so hard growing up or getting older or something like that? And then just answered it with, I don't know. And I'm just kind of like, 
I don't know. That felt like a bit of a cop out to me. Like there are so many reasons that it's hard growing yeah. up, getting older, and all that. It, and just it like, could be the the youthful version of honesty. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. that's an honest that's an honest answer and stuff. Like, when you're young, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I, wa- I wonder if you took the balls <laughs> off the back of your truck, <laughs> if that if that would help you connect with this. Just just th- take those balls off the back of your pickup truck, and then. <laughs> But that's all I have, Kevin. Come on. I, know. I know it's all. Yeah. It's the only thing keeping me going at this point. It's such a balls. shame that that's legislated in Maine. You have oh, to I have know. the balls yeah. in the back yeah. of your truck. <laughs> um, no, this is not for guys who have balls in the back of their truck. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, I had, I had, I had two two thoughts uh, that this record triggered in me that are actually not about this record. Um, the first is that, um, in hindsight. What a grave disservice I think was done to um, uh, Liz Fair when she came back with that early 2000s super sheeny pop record. Because at the time, the idea of a well-crafted, clean-sounding indie record was so wrong that just on general print, and I'm not necessarily defending her decision to work with The Matrix or whatever, but just in hindsight, the, the, the direction that indie rock has gone has certainly validated that much excoriated 2002 or three self-titled record. Um, and I, I kept thinking about it, listening to this and just thinking, wow, why, why, why did, you know, 18 years ago, we hated that one record and we like this one. And they're both sort of comfortably adjacent in, in, uh, in some respects, maybe not exactly sonically, but in, but, you know, aesthetically there, there are some similarities. Um, the other thought I had is that here we are talking about an indie rock record by a female artist who is not Taylor Swift, and I had been assured by a number of people that that was no longer allowed uh, <laughs> because Taylor Swift now owned indie rock. And so I'm left to yeah. conclude that it's possible some people made bad faith arguments against folklore. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, you know, to, to, to your first point, uh, you know, that, that sort of takes it back to that book, uh, The Subversive History of Music, is that, you know, a lot of uh, one of the cases that that makes throughout the book is that basically men have, have just completely removed women's agency in music. And uh, it, in the beginning, it was removing all the sexuality out of it because that was that was dangerous, you know, but uh, but they eventually and still do just stamp it out wherever they see it, but then try to do the same thing and do a very shitty copy of it. And, and I think that's what's working for me on this um, is that it is it, it's just a pure shot of this. And and in my mind, that's rare in this industry that something like this gets through. And I think it's because of the people her her first and foremost, but the people that shepherded it through and the people that have been like watching out for a career and said, hey, you know, we need you to do what you're going to do and not listen to this other shit over here. And and the sweetness that that comes through it as a result of that care, I think, um, is, yeah. you know, to me, to me, this is sort of it's almost like the other side of a coin to that. Um, that Faye Webster record, the Atlanta Millionaires Club, which is, is which is which is again sonically, that record is a little bit more sort of soulful, soulful and kind of R and B ish in spots. So I, I, you know, it's not like it's a one to one translation, but the but the vibe is very similar, and their voices are a little similar too. Yeah, and and the humor is very similar. Yes, and and, yeah. and the taking agency uh, of of their their selves enough to be like. I don't know much about any of this, right? Yeah. You know, this is, uh, yeah, both of that. If you if you haven't heard the Faye Webster, that thing is, whew, yeah, man, it's a grower. That, yeah, that that was that, that was the only reason I was sad we didn't do a year end last year. 
mm-hmm. because of that album because we didn't get to talk about it but that that's phenomenal and i and i think this one is too so uh get out there and check it out uh we're gonna take a quick break come back and uh when we do we'll, we'll end the show not for good <laughs> damn it <laughs> <laughs> that took a turn <laughs> <laughs> Madeline Kinney's Sucker's Lunch is out now everywhere you can buy fine records. Uh, Bruce Hornsby's Non-Secure Connection is out this Friday. Absolute Zero is still out there, though, so maybe you know do a package deal and do the same for uh, Madeline Kenny. Buy all three of her albums. Next Bandcamp Day that comes up, just go there and uh, smash that buy button for Madeline Kenny's stuff, and, uh, and you will have put some good into the world, and you'll have all the feels to yourself. Before we get out of here, I said I was going to talk to you about a little band called L.A. Witch, so that's what we're going to do right now. This is a trio, Sade, Sanchez, Arita Pai, and Ellie English. Uh, they are best described as like sort of garage rock, if you like Ty Siegel and stuff like that, 13 floor elevators. Uh, they are a pure shot of rock and roll in 2017. Their self-titled uh, LP was pretty well received, and it took them out on the road, and people have been raving about them ever since. They took a break uh, from the road to make an album uh, at the very beginning of this year, it took two months to write and record their upcoming album, Play With Fire, and then this pandemic hit. So all these songs that they were ready to fucking rage out in front of you, they're now suddenly locked in this album. But that's okay because the thing is sort of crackling with a, a, a sort of a fiery energy here. I want to play a song off that to get you acquainted if you aren't already with them. This is I Want to Lose, and it has a little bit of, uh, believe it or not, a Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers vibe, uh, which is something – that uh, you know their sound keeps evolving a little more, and it's just a it's just a great fucking track. So here you go. I want to lose off of L.A. Witch's upcoming album, Play with Fire.
Ellie, which is I Want to Lose for you right there. That track is rad. It is totally rad. The band is rad. Their new album, Play With Fire, is going to be out August 22nd. That's next Friday. So go out there and get it. And then, uh, you know, fingers crossed that we sort of beat this pandemic sometime in, in our lifetimes. Uh, because this is the type of band that I would like to see at like my local rock club, the Cactus Club, just tearing shit down. Uh, because they are uh, they're pretty awesome. So there you go. Well, that is it for this episode of Discologist. If you like what you heard, you can do a couple things. You can tell your friends. That's always important. Share the love. Uh, you can follow us on all the socials. Uh, we're at Chunky Glasses out there pretty much everywhere since that is our, our home base. You can also support us directly at supporter.acast.com slash Discologist. If you go there, you can actually like donate money to us. A lot of that money is going to get donated to other causes uh, but you know we do have some operating costs and so uh, we, we would like to cover those after maybe 500 or so episodes so that is supporter.acast.com slash discologist if you go there and everything is pretty self-explanatory uh, more importantly though than that I want you all to keep uh, when Bandcamp Day comes up, if, if you are able to, if you still have a job, if you still have income coming in uh, to support the artists you love, Bandcamp Days, all that money goes to them. But also reach out to people in your community and see what, what they need help with, whether it's an artist, uh, whether it's a venue, uh, whether it's a restaurant. You know, these things are not going to be around on the other side of this if we don't support them now. So maybe it's just like getting takeout from your favorite like taco place uh, that is just open for takeout now but every little bit helps so get out there and do that and uh, really you'll find uh, that your community is a lot more vibrant than maybe you, you thought uh, or maybe you knew that already and, uh, and you've been doing the good work for a long time so that is it coming up on the next few episodes we're going to be talking about more jazz we're going to be talking about more country and uh, I think that's about it so we'll talk to you in a few short days until then be good to your ears but be better to your people talk to you soon Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Kenobi!